0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. And welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Hoppy treats for thirsty mouths. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Thirsty treats for hoppy mouths. (laughs) And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! At the top of your episode, before we venture further, we just wanted to share some info about how you can be more involved with this podcast. Firstly we have a YouTube channel Chris has been responsible for populating this with some lovely content including two whole separate mini series. one called Hard Drop which is taking a look at some incredibly niche Tetris games and also a series called You May Know This but You Didn't Know That and the latest episode of <laughs> is looking at the prodigal son of Rez and Excite Bike, which is absolutely fantastic so head on over to YouTube search for Our Three Cents Podcast and please subscribe we're adding videos all the time including some streaming activity from us as well. And secondly, if you've been listening to the last 10 or so episodes, you'll know that we now have a Patreon page, which you can use to show your support of the podcast and help us create more content for you to enjoy. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents and you can see a wide range of perks that you can enjoy in exchange for this support. There's exclusive bonus content like outtakes, deleted scenes and full bonus episodes, opportunities to record custom episodes with us and even some custom artwork that we'll create especially for you. Check it out. Yeah. This week, we have our 41st favourite video games. How about that?
1: We're flying through this list.
0: But before we do that, it is time to return to the epic battle of wits between Chris and Minty that is the Our Three Cents quiz.
1: I'm just going to take it slowly today. (laughs) After what can only be described as making a boob
0: of yourself last week, Minty is forging a comeback. He's now trailing by four points only. So let's see how you get on with this one. Most puzzles in the original Tomb Raider series were solved by A. Platforming B. Collecting items C. Shooting hidden targets D. Pulling levers
2: D. C.
0: Neither of you are correct. Wow. So I'm going to do something slightly unprecedented, which is roll this point over to next week. So next week's (gasps) question is going to be worth two points. Oh, Oh, Let's hope it's a good one. Yeah. The, the correct answer is platforming As I well know Because I've been playing Tomb Raider Anniversary this week Because that was my game a couple of weeks ago And I had started playing it on the PS Vita Which is, it's, to be fair Not a bad port But you don't have a free camera in it And that is quite troublesome When trying to do a lot of intricate As you now know, platforming <laughs> Platforming uh... <laughs> puzzles, in fact <laughs> So I decided to get hold of the Xbox 360 copy and play it on my Xbox One that I'm borrowing at the moment and I mean it is a much much better experience. I mean fair play like I said the Vita port whereas actually the PSP port is is pretty decent but um, yeah it's been nice to play that. Although as you remember I complained in the original game about the St Francis Folly level and how it was very very easy to just fall off something by a tiny miscalculation and then you'd lose so much of your progress and I was nearing the very, very end of this level after about an hour and a half of playing, and the game crashed, and I lost an entire hour and a half of gameplay (laughs) to then go back to the beginning. And I was, I was, I was really, I was really annoyed. Fortunately, I played through that level again in about 20 minutes and and got back to where I was because I'd done all of the problem solving and and puzzles and all of that. So I knew what I was doing, but still my goodness, but it's been, it's been quite good fun to, uh, to play through that again. I also finished Ori and the Will of the Wisps.
1: Where does it rank in, in relation to the first game?
0: Now it's a great game although I do think the original is a purer experience. I did mention the, the kind of occasional buggy nature of Will of the Wisps when I spoke about it the other week, and, and it did. It was quite frustrating. It, it, I mean, it was just a little bit slow and clunky when going in and out of menus, which kind of ruins your momentum if you're just like, right, yeah. where am I on the map? Right, back into it. And that that flow is one of the things that I loved so much about the first game. And because of the nature of like how you explore in the game i'd said about in the first one you you have to use like the full range of your movement abilities to explore every hidden bit in the game and really like push the game to its limits you'd see something like on the other side of the screen and try to employ the most incredible series of movements of flips and grabs and turns and whatever to try and reach it But because of, like, the little bugs that you experience in One of the Wisps, I I never felt truly safe kind of exploring the game like that. And if I did pull something off, I I could never be, like, sure that I hadn't, like, just broken the game a little bit or, 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 like, I wasn't meant to be there. So it wasn't quite as free-flowing and liberating as the first game felt to, like, move around and... I mean several times I would appear in a new area and like the assets hadn't loaded which would really dampen like the emotional impact of those story beats but all in all I mean it is a brilliant game but yeah I mean it is a it was a little disappointing in parts but mainly from a technical point of view rather than anything else and I mean I would love it if they ended up porting it over to the Switch and it would be a good opportunity to iron out some of those creases and and I'd, I'd happily play through it again what else I've had a busy gaming week a little group of friends of mine from uni who have started doing some retro pc gaming on friday nights and I, I joined them properly for the first time this last week after briefly playing worms armageddon with them the week before which was fantastic
1: oh, r3 cents approved
0: it is indeed <laughs> this week we played a ridiculous game it's a free-to-play game called Moonbase alpha it's actually developed by nasa and there's even like their its own like information page like on the nasa website it's it kind of feels like a almost like an educational piece of software that you would have gotten like an encarta cd or something like that free <laughs> times oh encarta i love Wowie. encarta
1: <laughs>
0: and yeah and it was it was mad like there was a few of us all just jumping around the moon trying to fix some circuits and and mend things uh, to restore power and 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 get ourselves off the moon again but then we then we did play some classic counter strike global offensive and there was a really good co-op mission that we were doing where we had to rob a bank and uh, and that was really good fun as well obviously i've been playing a load of animal crossing like i'm sure you guys have as well I'm, unfortunately i have to confess that i have become the turnip baron <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've i've capitalized
2: if you like yeah. on
0: that. i mean it's it totally goes against the ethos of the game and I don't feel good after doing it, despite the fact that my like bank account is heaving with bells. You know, I'm close to becoming a billionaire. Ridiculous! A oh,
2: billionaire! Oh, Jonathan, you need to be stopped.
0: <laughs> There's a Nook Mars achievement for making 10 million bells profit from. The stock market, and I think once I hit that, that's it. I'm going to retire to my yacht with my bells and uh, and cruise around just snorting cocaine with Gulliver or something.
1: It's got to be canonical, isn't it, that Gulliver is just like a dirty drunk all the time.
0: Oh yeah, he wouldn't. He was on your island when I popped over earlier, Chris, and I couldn't even wake him up. He was like, nah, I'm sleeping, mate." I was like, oh, fair enough.
1: He goes hard, doesn't he? Serious at sea benders.
0: Absolutely. I think he opened his eye and went, "No, nah, I'm going to wait for a wench." <laughs> <laughs> although it's been really nice to see a couple of the new updates that have come in in the last week with yeah. jolly red the absolute fiend selling artwork in the game now and the museum expansion to allow for that I've, I've already got a couple of pieces in there although he he got me he fooled me with a painting that i i'd loaded a version of the actual painting up on the internet so i could study it to see if it was <laughs> fake or not because there'll always be like it's Essentially you just you find what painting it is or what statue it is and you play spot the difference. And there's usually one big thing omitted from it if, if it's if it's not real. Yeah. And I couldn't see anything, and I'm blaming that on being colourblind. And so I bought I bought a, a, a fake painting, which you can't even sell in the shop to get rid of. No, so there's I, nothing
1: you can do about it, is there?
0: I, I thought I might be able to like craft a garbage can and put it in that, but I, I didn't have a recipe for one, so
2: I've just hung it in my loft. Oh, well, you have a garbage can. You can come over to our island and get rid of it if you want to.
0: Ah, I may do that. I yeah, may do that. Yeah. It's been nice seeing the Nature Day updates and I've planted shrubs everywhere and some new flowers and it's just... Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. How are you guys getting on with it?
1: I think uh, I'm I'm still behind everyone, like like I have been for a while. But Nook's Cranny finally got upgraded in my town. I was was a little bit behind. I, too, was duped by by Red on his first visit. But in my defence, I didn't realise how much art was being sold on one visit yeah and i i thought i was buying what was a piece of furniture like a statue yeah and didn't realize that was the day's art or one of the pieces yeah so i just merrily was like hammering the a button and then when i tried to buy an actual painting it was like no mate you've, you've had your lot <laughs> so so yeah now i'm i'm also lumbered with like a, a massive statue
0: you haven't got a second player on your console have you no i don't because if you have that you can each buy one piece a day so I bought one with me and one with Sammy
1: ah, so you're gonna you're gonna double the speed' not if I continue being duped by the bastards I've also I've just spent loads of money buying outfits from Able sisters yeah <laughs> I think one of my favorite changes from from the last game is being able to go into the wardrobe and actually see everything oh, that's, that's available great, that day.
0: Yeah, and, and it so means good. that
1: every time I turn it on I buy a full outfit like it, it, it can be a stupid <laughs> one like it doesn't really matter I just pick like one of each thing I think is funny or looks good Yeah, and I've spent loads of bells on that Yeah. so I'm now this week attempting to play the stork market properly to try and imitate some of your successes Jonathan mm. I still haven't had KK Slider visit Aww. so I'm still behind because my, my island is not a three star island yet no you've got a lot of weed
0: stuff on there yeah
1: and I think part of it is just I haven't put the effort in to do that and I haven't put the effort into actually like build any decent infrastructure. Yeah. So hopefully when I am a, a what, not a billionaire, mm. when I have a few bags of bells spare, I, I can kind of do, I can do a bit of stuff this week. But yeah, other than that, it will be nice to see um, old eyebrows coming for a gig when he's when he's finally ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's still great. It's still just a, a fun thing. How about
2: you, Minty? I haven't bought any turnips this week because that is just a big stress that I don't really need at the moment. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> I think am I might... That might be something that I do maybe every fortnight. Yeah. Like, if I just need a little some sum if I want to, you know, <laughs> upgrade my house. But the one thing that has changed the enjoyment of the game, or I think will change the enjoyment, is, like you said, this new update. I have two people, two, two real-life people, living on my island, me and my wife. And one of the advantages that I've found, especially in this new update, is that... uh Mrs. Mincy is a is a very gifted artist and yes, she's she's very knowledgeable about the works of art that Red has on his ship. Excellent. So we haven't been fleeced yet by him. Oh, well done. We both picked the ones that were real. She's been playing it a lot more than me, and one of my one of the great joys that I've got from the game is just seeing how much she enjoys it. It, it mm. really makes me happy.
0: Oh, good! That's lovely. Have you guys played anything else this week at all?
2: I've played a little bit more of Doom sixty four. Ah, very good. I really like the rhythm of it. It's it's a little it's a just it's just a little bit slower than the PC games. Yeah, which means that I'm not as shit at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are fast and furious. The originals. Yeah,
2: yeah. You'll see the enemies and they'll be like, whoa. Oh, it's you. <laughs> and then they'll try and shoot you, by which time they're probably already dead because I'm just sort of screaming through all the corridors, extremely <laughs> frightened. <laughs> like, <"Argh! Arrgh!" laughs> Bye! Yeah, so I'm having a good time. There's four difficulty levels and I'm playing on the third highest. Ooh, oh, wow. Third that's uh, ultraviolence, isn't it? I don't know how it scales with the PC version because the yeah. PC version has five. And the fifth difficulty nightmare was added as a joke, so I think I'm only playing on Hurt Me Plenty. Okay, that makes sense. I think Hurt Me Plenty is called I Own Doom in Doom 64, and then Ultraviolence is called Watch Me Die. I've always liked the sense of humour in Doom. But there was a little bit that sort of made me think, "Oh, okay, this is, Ooh. In In Doom 64, there are three uh, demon keys, which power up uh, the Unmaker which is the best name for a weapon.
0: Yeah, that's very, very good.
2: And also, they have something to do with the very last level, which I won't spoil, I guess. But I I found my first one in the first secret level a couple of days ago. And I don't know if this was in the original version or if uh, Bethesda added it, but there was big red text at the top that said, you get the feeling this wasn't meant to be touched. As soon as I picked it up, I was like, oh, goodness, goodness. wowee. (laughs) <laughs> good lord man well didn't they say something like I think there were some changes to this
1: port of 64 which connects it vaguely to the, the modern Doom games oh probably yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's that because there is like an extra episode at the end of 64 I think hmm. and I, I, I vaguely remember some news story saying that there was like a, a loose link that had been popped in or, or something but I don't know Have you uh, played anything else, Chris? Not that much. This is one of those weeks that, as as this lockdown rolls on, that, you know, if people are listening to this when it comes out we'll probably still be in that position i've I've found from from being at home so much as i am now a big part of gaming for me is like using it as a counterpoint to other stuff yeah and and i always like joked in my head i said like "Oh, it'd be great if if i ever like broke my legs in some accident (laughs) i'd I'd be like completely well in my head and everything like that and i could just sit at home and i could catch up on all these games and and watch films and tv and all the stuff I, i hadn't done and now that i'm presented with all this time it's like i don't have the same enthusiasm to do it. Yeah. And it's been really strange like knowing that I've got a whole evening free. Despite having all this time I'm I'm not really committing to anything in in any sort of meaningful way. So I've played like a little bit of Tetris, I've played a little bit of VR, but nothing like big. And and within that as well there's a game I am meant to talk about next week, my my 40th pick. That it's a big game and I want to replay it kind of in prep for that episode. And every time I put it on I just go ah eh. I just uh, can't be bothered. And so my, my thoughts next week could be sort of like very, very hazy <laughs> when it comes to talking about that one because I, I just don't know when I'm going to get the time to to want to play it like I thought I would. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a frustrating time, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. It's I got inspired last week by two things, one of which was you talking about Super Mario Maker, and the other was the update that came out for Super Mario Maker 2.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very uh, prescient of me, wasn't it, to bring it up?
0: Yeah, it really, really was. And Nintendo have added so much more to Super Mario Maker 2, a game which is already so fully laden with amazing content. So I decided to get hold of a copy again and start back at that. And I I really, really want to do it. And I've made a couple of levels already. And I'm absolutely dead set on making an entire eight super worlds full of levels for you to play. I can't wait. But it's, it's difficult in this sort of time, the sort of lethargy that sets in with unproductivity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying to sort of piggyback my enthusiasm and motivation from other tasks I'm doing. So I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but like I had a really good productive morning on Animal Crossing and then was like, right, I'm going to go and paint the fence. So I went <laughs> into the garden to paint the fence. <laughs> ah. And Tom Nook was proud. <laughs> I'm sure he would have been. Was he Was he there? But it's tough. But thank goodness we have got some games to, to, to help get us through. Oh, quite right. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we move on to the rankings?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: This week, starting with Chris's game. Chris, oh, can you please tell us about your 41st favourite video game of all time?
1: Rightio. We've got a big, long story leading up to this one. <laughs> this is one that I Excellent. think the, the, I the story outweighs the game itself. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, when you talked about Mario 64 DS, yeah. obviously we, we talked about the DS as, as a console, and when I got my console... Like you, I, I had Mario 64 DS. It was the first game that came with it. I had the Metroid Prime Hunters demo, which I also played to death because there was nothing else to play. And those had to tide me over for, for quite a while. Yeah. And like at the time, that would have been, what were we, like 16, 17 maybe when the DS came out? Slightly younger?
0: yeah yeah it's 2004 wasn't it so yeah
1: 16 ish or so and at that stage like importing games from abroad was was pretty slow yeah and it still felt that even though the internet was a big thing a big kind of fixture of all of our lives it was still like in its infancy for kind of global commerce we just we weren't in the same position we are now and obviously there weren't that many places in a sleepy town like Margate where you could just pop out and have a regularly refreshed stock of import games so there wasn't that much to play. So after a while of kind of like hammering Mario 64, I finished that. I got 150 stars using the little analog nub. Very proud of myself, but was then bored. I got up the courage to order a couple of American games from the now defunct website Sang. I don't know if you remember that name.
0: Oh, I do remember that, yeah. Mm. So for, for
1: anyone that is a little bit too young to remember, it was an import site <laughs> that was very similar to what like PlayAsia is these days. The difference being that they sold like modding tools as well as games. And it meant that eventually they were just sued into oblivion by Sony. <laughs> so Licksang is, is no more as of, as of a long, long time. So at the time, I ordered two games. I ordered Feel the Magic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which we talked about all the way back in our Easter episode last year. Yeah, we The, did, the yeah. kind of Sega's weird, Ware esque minigame collection. And I ordered Namco's Ridge Racer DS. And after waiting probably six weeks for them to arrive like remember having to wait for post (laughs) like like, honestly last week we're we're currently as i've mentioned in the middle of a global pandemic i ordered a game from amazon japan a week ago and it's due to come tomorrow (laughs) like this is bananas like regular post is still getting through that quickly but back then it it took a long time when they did arrive I, i excitedly popped them in my console and played both but i had a real sense of disappointment that I don't think I was really familiar with at the time. Because I think when you get to your late teens, that's when you start to have a bit of a handle on personal expendable income, like what things cost and, and the value of things. Yeah. And and whereas when I was a child, like every game I got was exciting because the act of just receiving a game at all was a joy and a privilege. When I was a bit older and it was my money and, and my six weeks of wait, it meant that the fact that neither of these games was very good was properly upsetting. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it really, really felt like like a hurtful thing had happened to me. So, Feel the Magic was was fine for what it was, but it had no longevity. Like, I beat the story of it, and it was like, well, that was, that was something, I guess, and, and then I moved on. And, and Ridge Racer had potential. Like, it was a port of Ridge Racer 64, which I had enjoyed on the N64, and I was really excited to see, like, a full 3D racer on this new handheld, but it controlled so, so poorly that you had the option of using an ultra-sensitive D-pad so you just careen into the wall on every corner or you could use my famous analogue thumb nub <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. um, would control like a virtual steering wheel on the screen which was awful as well. Really, really terrible. Like Mario 64 I got the hang of. I beat it. But, you know, I've, I've said that before but Ridge Racer I never got any better. It was like I, I played it for hours trying to persevere and just never made any progress at all because You know, it it was trying to make the game play like it had an analogue stick in a way that just it didn't translate to a racing game at all. Now jump ahead a few years. In twenty eleven, with the launch of the three DS, as kind of the successor to the DS, we got Ridge Racer 3D. And it was a launch title for the 3DS. And it atoned for the sins of its forebears. Like Ridge Racer 3D is fantastic. And it is my 41st favourite game of all time.
0: Ah, how about that? Hmm. Ridge Racer! Yeah,
1: (laughs) Ridge Racer! Now... Ridge Racer as a series, my my brother Tom remarked once when I was playing a Ridge Racer game that I was only good at racing games that weren't about being good at racing games, and and I think that's a quote worth unpacking because <laughs> Ridge Racer is not it's it's not a realistic racing game at all. Like it, it's set up is it's very arcadey in that you start a race, every other car pulls ahead of you immediately, and then you basically spend the three laps just clawing back progress like an arcade racer. Yeah. But it's also just it's not a realistic racing game at all in its handling either. And, and the unique kind of feel of, of Ridge Racer that no other series does like this is it has a very specific way that it, it deals with drifting round corners. So you sort of approach a corner, you release the accelerator, you turn into the bend, then you apply the accelerator again. And the car will kind of swerve really theatrically, but but basically just like stick to the racing line. As, l- as long as you go into it at the right time, press the buttons at the right time, you, you are kind of guaranteed to get around the corner. And And it means it's got this this real sense of weight, this kind of like tremendously satisfying feeling of being able to just absolutely annihilate every single corner once you get good at it. But as, as Tom said, it does very little to emulate how you drive an actual car. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't use it to actually uh, to learn, as it were. <laughs> now, Ridge Racer 64, going back to, to that and the DS port, I guess, by, by extension, was a game that took elements of the PlayStation's home ports of Ridge Racer and Ridge Racer Revolution. And it was kind of like a best of package. So the N64 game was essentially just all the best bits of the series to that time. And Ridge Racer 3D essentially does similar that... This time, though, it's for the whole series to date. So you've got tracks and vehicles from the PS1 games. uh, You've got tracks from the PSP versions of the game. You've got bits and pieces that came from the Xbox 360s, Ridge Racer 6. And it doesn't really do anything new. But in the same way, you might have like a greatest hits compilation from from a band you like. It pulls together so much of what makes Ridge Racer Ridge Racer. And it's just really hard to complain. It, It was a game that really felt fun to play because it took all the stuff that was already fun and kind of applied it to this new console. I think Ridge Racer as a series is is less about racing and more about driving and this is not in the same way like when I talked about OutRun quite a few weeks ago now I said it's about kind of like the journey rather than the results but I think Ridge Racer a lot of the fun comes from the control of your vehicle and like I said that that different way of of handling cornering and drift rather than being about just winning races and it's interesting how it treats the idea of having a racing line which normally in, in you know a, a traditional racing game you're attempting to to keep to the best racing line to sort of cut those you know few seconds off off a lap time but here it's it's such like a fluid malleable thing that Tom was absolutely right like, like the driving model doesn't make any sense it's, it's not a realistic driving game in that in that sense but when you compare it to something like Gran Turismo or, or Forza or any of these kind of realistic series, I would much, much rather be able to drive a car at 150 miles per hour around a hairpin bend <laughs> whilst doing a full like, 360 degree spin than having to memorize like, the relative stopping distance for the weight of my car. It's just <laughs> it's a very different way of playing games and, and it's something that I, you know, I've, I put a lot of time into, to Ridge Racer on the 3DS. I, I said that Ridge Racer 3D didn't add anything new And and whilst that is kind of true in terms of just pure content, it does add, because it was a launch title for the handheld, full stereoscopic 3D. Yeah. And it looks so good. It still looks so good. Like, I I started a a new career save in the last few weeks. And despite this being, like, almost a decade old at this point, it, it looks fantastic. It still holds up really, really well. And, you know, every time the 3DS comes up on this podcast, I get a warm feeling in my stomach. <laughs> and and even, like, going back to the launch unit where you had to hold the console very, very still in front of you to maintain, like, a, an unbroken 3D image. Yeah. It still looked impressive enough that I remember excitedly playing it and then running to show my dad. <laughs> and, like, this is something that, you know, how often in your adult life, because I would have been in my early 20s at this stage, are games so impressive that you need to run and show your parents? <laughs> like, like, it's the type of thing that when I was a kid, I remember doing when... Uh, I played Booger Man on the Mega Drive. Oh yeah. And uh, every time you you come out of a checkpoint, your character shouts, Booger. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I had to, again, go and show Dad. It was like, oh come and have a look, you won't believe what he says. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> this was something very different, but it was the same idea as like games are doing something that is really special. And I just wanted to share it with someone <laughs> who was nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Ridge Racer 3D is, is also, it represents being it's the last proper Ridge Racer game so the Vita did get a version like shortly after this one, but it was a game that basically thought that social network implementation was the entire future of gaming so Ridge Racer on the Vita had three tracks and that was it three like Ridge Racer 3DS has about 40 Jesus, and on the Vita you had three and you were expected just to time trial against your friends indefinitely there was no other game okay. like some DLC came a bit further down the line and boosted it up to five tracks <laughs> but still it was it was nothing like I, I don't really consider it a proper sequel so Ridge Racer 3D was, was the last one but in a way, because like I said, it's got this celebratory kind of greatest hits stadium tour approach. Maybe it was a fitting end to the series. Maybe they got to the point where they didn't think there was anything else to do. It's it's a great game. It's a franchise I really, really like. And like I said, it's my 41st favorite video game of all time. Boom. Ridge Racer. Ridge Racer. <laughs>
0: I mean, I've never been massively into like realistic racing games. Yeah. I've always preferred stuff like like mario kart or f-zero or something like that yeah and to be honest my only exposure to ridge racer is that epic fail (laughs) announcement for ridge racer on the psp was it and so it's always always been synonymous with pathetic (laughs) uh, uh, unfairly so unfairly so i'm sure yeah there we go thank you for that chris Moving on, we have My Game. Wow! Ooh. Would you guys like to hear what my 41st favourite video game of all time is?
1: I really yes. would. Because it's better than Mario 64, so it's going to be a ripper.
0: It's true. It's true. And it is. And we're going back to the GameCube for My Game this week. Ooh. And I think that this is is probably one of the, the absolute best third-party games for the console. Ah. Uh. Now... This game kind of came out of nowhere, really. It was rebooting a classic gaming series that hadn't really had much interest in in many years. After an initial attempt to reinvent this series in 3D in 1999, which was pretty unsuccessful, four years later, Ubisoft had another attempt and were a lot more successful when they released Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Oh. Oh, So I remember the original Prince of Persia when I was a kid and I remember seeing a little featurette on the TV show Bad Influence. Oh, do you remember that program?
1: Andy Crane and uh and
0: Violet Berlin. Yes, yeah. And uh, do you remember the name of the man, the character giving out the cheats every week? No, who Nam Rude, which is is backwards for Doorman. So <laughs> Yeah, and he always used to do like a little rap or some sort of silly rhyme, playing his harmonica, give out some cheats. I remember it once saying, duh, 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 duh. I woke up one morning, duh, 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 duh. all crumpled in the sheets. Duh, 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 duh. Woke up one morning, duh, 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 duh. ready to do some cheats. And that was great. <laughs> That's very strong. <laughs> As a, Even further aside, once when me and my brother alex were at home and the tv was just on churning out some daytime crap i think it was an episode of that awful soap doctors that, that <laughs> plays in in the daytime and alex spotted somebody in there and was like i'm sure that's nam Rude. i'm sure it is and he pulled out this memory from, from nowhere and he was absolutely right it was uh, so it was a hell of a spot there we go <laughs> So yeah, so Bad Influence, they did this little featurette about the animation in Prince of Persia, and I loved seeing how fluid it was and how lifelike, and there was, there was something about like the sparse nature of the game that really captured my imagination. I did end up playing the original at some point, but the first time I ever actually owned a Prince of Persia game was in fact the 1999 Prince of Persia 3D, which I bought on the PC. And I mean, to be honest, I quite enjoyed it at the time. It was still quite novel for me to be able to play a 3D platforming game. And there was some nice design things going on. The I mean, the combat was incredibly tricky, though, from what I remember. And I think that was one of the reasons why it was it was uh, quite frustrating to play. So, as it happens, the best use I think I got out of the game was finding the graphics files for it on like the install file and I used the Persian textures and patterns to make some themed levels in GoGo Unicycle, one of my <laughs> early Games Factory creations. Oh, you
1: you petty thief
0: <laughs> <laughs> But I remember when Santa Time was announced, it, it looked quite nice, but I, I wasn't that intrigued by it until the review started coming out and it was getting scores of like 96 97, 10 out of 10s everywhere I looked and I thought I should probably check it out and boy oh boy I am glad I did the game is an absolute video game masterclass it, it looked amazing it moved so fluidly that I remember one reviewer compared it to Tony Hawk's skateboarding <laughs> and how you could like seamlessly link all of your movement and fighting mechanics together and it was a fa- it was a fantastic comparison I mean unfortunately the prince didn't didn't pop an ollie or, or uh, do any grinding he might have done I don't know didn't, didn't watch him all the
2: time didn't write <laughs> goofy
0: but all of this was also being used in conjunction with the fantastic time travelling abilities of the dagger of time which was like the, the MacGuffin at the centre of this game, and that allowed you to briefly rewind time to correct any errors you made. And, and this setup was just so fun, it, it really allowed you to feel like I mean, a total boss pulling off the most incredible string of acrobatics as you flipped and swung and fought through increasingly elaborate set pieces. And I mean, there were all manner of booby traps to avoid spinning blades, collapsing floors, the classic spike pits. I mean, it was a very, very dangerous time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> you could run up walls and you could run across walls, making like traversing the architecture and these hazards like an absolute breeze. And, and being able to do that whilst also having the freedom to correct your mistakes if you did muck it up. It really meant that you threw yourself into these things with reckless abandon. And like I said, you felt amazing when you pulled it off. Something I actually alluded to a couple of weeks back when I was talking about Tomb Raider Anniversary. And I think Sands of Time really reinvented the conventions of 3D action platforming. And I mean, we would see it mirrored in in so many games to come. I mean, not least of all like the modern Tomb Raider games and the Uncharted series. And there were so many beautiful environments to explore, from the stunning like, palaces of ancient Persia and regal bathhouses and prisons, cliffs and waterfalls, a royal menagerie. And I mean it looked gorgeous. It had this beautiful bloom effect to it, and everything just looked hazy and sandy and sun-drenched and just really atmospheric and, and moody. And it was great to spend time just, I mean just looking at it and exploring every single corner of, of, of what they created also some light rpg elements to the game which was quite nice you found like upgrades for your health and dagger abilities and i think some new fighting mechanics and i know you found some new weapons but one of the fun ways of tracking your progress throughout the game was actually by charting the state of undress the prince was in, <laughs> which is oh, oh. quite saucy. Occasionally you would reach like a bit of a cutscene to take you from one area to the next and, and usually something would happen which would mean the prince would like rip his sleeve or something or, or take an injury and have to tear off some of his tunic to bandage it up and slowly throughout the game you resort to being the, the macho shirtless prince from the front cover of the game as you as you go into the final battle and I, I thought that was quite, quite a novel look idea and it was it was it was quite fun. Oh, that is cool. It would be better if he ended
1: up as a skeleton <laughs> like rock DJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robbie
0: Williams. <laughs> Jesus
1: oh, God. Really how
0: many people could link up Prince of Persia, Tony Hawk, and Robbie Williams? Well we've done it. So much in a similar way to Super Mario 64 DS last week. When I finished playing through Sands of Time once, I had absolutely no issue in starting a new save file straight away and playing through it all again. And again. And again. And again. I mean, once you knew what you were doing in the game, it, it was actually, it was quite short and I think I could beat it in around about f- maybe four hours or something like that. So, I, I mean, I would fairly regularly just start a new save file, play through it in one go. I mean, it was just, it was just so fun. It was, it was so, so fun. Unfortunately, I don't feel that they captured the same magic in the in the two Prince of Persia games that, that followed, Warrior Within and, and Two Thrones. I mean, they weren't, like, bad games at all, but they, I mean, they didn't really do much new, and what they were doing new was pushing the hardware just too much, which resulted in a much less smooth experience. But I mean, still, I, I would absolutely, I'd love to play through them all again. I know there was like an HD remaster of the trilogy on the PS3. There was, which unfortunately I don't think has PS4 support, which no, is a shame. Otherwise, I probably would get hold of that and play it. But and and I and to be fair, I, I didn't play the reboot of the series or the one that followed that, which I, I think it was called like Forgotten Sands. So, I mean, I can't obviously whinge and say, I really wish they'd make a new one, seeing as I I didn't play, obviously.
1: (laughs) The following four games.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Before I finish, I must make the usual shout out to the excellent soundtrack in the game by a chap called Stuart Chatwood. It was a brilliant sort of fusion of traditional Middle Eastern music and, and modern rock music, which provided a, a, a great energy to the action. And there was one track in particular which comes towards the end of the game, which was oh, it was just really beautiful and epic. It was, I think it was called "Lost in the Crypts" on the soundtrack, Ooh. and it really just set up the atmosphere for like the final final stretch of the game. It was I loved it, and I've listened, I listened to it this morning having a shower. By this morning, I mean this afternoon, because I'm in lockdown. <laughs> As a nice little Easter egg, you could also unlock the first level of the original Prince of Persia made in the Sands of Time engine as like a little bonus and that that was really it was a lovely little feature to enjoy and and something which I didn't realise until I was researching this but it was actually like a, a proof of concept for what became Prince of Persia classic which is like a full remake of the original game in this style, which was then, I think, released on Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network. I remember
1: that, actually, yeah. Yeah.
0: Apparently, it was also ported to like iOS and Android as well, but sadly, it doesn't appear to be available on the App Store anymore, oh. which is a shame. But there is a sort of like endless runner Prince of Persia game, which, I mean, is really basic, but is it's is quite fun. <laughs> anyway, like I said, I really see Prince of Persia Sands of Time as a video game landmark in 3D platforming it was a fantastically fun game at that as well and I'm, I'm really really glad to have had the opportunity to talk about it and it, it certainly whet my appetite for some of that style of gaming i mean I'm, I'm playing through tomb raider anniversary at the moment which like i said owes a lot to this little series and i think I've, I've got the uncharted series as well on on playstation now seeing as playstation released it for free so i might get some some more archaeological 3d action platforming kicks from that we shall see. We shall see. But until then, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, 41st favourite video game of all time. Love it. Absolutely love it. Lovely. Great.
1: It's a good game,
2: I've heard. Same.
0: So, lastly, but not leastly, we have Meantly, Minty, can you please tell us what your 41st favourite video game of all time
2: is? Please, sir, now. Yeah, absolutely. 3D? It's not all that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a massive leap forward, or rather outward for game development yeah i think there was a period sort of you know early playstation and n64 where it was a feature a selling point instead of a means to an end which you know obviously should be a good game look at what this new powerful console can do you can go around and up and down now the limitations of hardware that necessitated 2d games gave us things like uh, mode 7 graphics The incredible level design of Donkey Kong Country, the story of Chrono Trigger, and I think the jump to 3D helped prop up a lower level of innovation for a good few years in game development. You know, which is to be expected. You're not born knowing all the ways to cook an egg. (laughs) (laughs) We all lost our shit when New Super Mario Bros. and Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze came out. The resurgence in Castleroid games is bordering on oversaturated. Woodle Tree Adventures is in 3D. (laughs) You know, this is probably a discussion for another episode, maybe even a bonus episode, but the point I'm making is this. I think we were owed about five or six years more 2D game releases, just to see how good they could get before shit started getting square. (laughs) Speaking of square, my game this week is Final Fantasy VI. Big apology to that fellow who was upset at us a few weeks ago. <laughs> Final Fantasy VI is better than VII in every single way. He's gonna kill you.
0: These are these are, these are big words which <laughs> yeah. I, I I I can't argue with, for I know neither. It looks
2: better. The sprite art is fantastic. Enemies and bosses look great. Towns and cities, they bustle with activity and are just pissing with detail it's a slightly morose world where the familiar tropes of magic and spirits have given way to the relentless pursuit of industrial growth great engines and machinery pepper this world belching out steam and smoke giving most places a rhythmic yet hollow life that evokes the bleak existence of people struggling under systemic oppression and shows the formidable forces that clash throughout the story The Empire, the clandestine resistance, and the unhinged lunatic that awakens the power of the Espers, a long-forgotten race of magical creatures that disappeared millennia ago after the last Great War of the Magi to bring about the end of the world about halfway through the game? (laughs) Oh yes! The stakes are high in Final Fantasy VI. The first half has you follow a mysterious magic wielder as she tries to uncover her memories following her escape from the empire's military a period of service that saw her brainwashed and weaponized she's paired up with a plucky thief and the returners the underground resistance fighting the empire then add into the mix the prodigiously inventive king edgar his martial artist brother sabine a mysterious ninja named Shadow, a former general with massive survivor's guilt following the poisoning of his city, a child that can paint things and make them real, her granddad, an imperial defector who could absorb magic, a mimic, a gambler, a feral child, and a yeti. <laughs> and you've got a cast of main characters that each have their own unique combat styles that are extremely appropriate to their character, as well as individual backstories that they've really got no business being as fleshed out as they are in a game on the Super Nintendo. The first half of the game gathers these characters, sets them up quite neatly to defeat Emperor Gestahl before he absorbs the power of the three warring gods, and then has a side character pop up to ruin everything, quite literally. The second half of the game takes place in the world of ruin, thanks to Kefka Palazzo, a man widely lauded as one of the greatest villains in video game history. Just as the first act draws your party together, in an instant they're scattered And not only do we have the choice, and it is a choice, to bring them all back together to defeat him. But we also get more exposition and more character development, seeing just how they coped, or didn't, as the case may be, about uh, bringing about the end of the world, or at least failing to stop it. This is an incredibly abridged summary, and I cannot recommend playing through it enough and getting just a feel for the depth of the story yourself. You can get it on pretty much anything now. You can get it on handhelds, you can get it on tablets, emulation. Taking a step back and looking at my personal video game journey, I don't quite know what the game was that really got me into JRPGs, but this is definitely the second one at least. <laughs> I think probably after playing Final Fantasy Three on the DS, I was sort of idly Googling and found the fantastic website, uh, cavesofnarsh.com, which is a fan site dedicated to all things Final Fantasy. It's an excellent resource for walkthroughs, trivia, music, art, and fan fiction. and having these reams of information for every game in the series really drove home the fact that there were games that were so much more than what I'd played through up until that point. More than just, you know, like, press left to go left, jump, hit things, and beat the boss. There were immersive and expansive stories and characters that, without a doubt, I think, established video games as art. Not only is this a very good game, but it's an incredibly pivotal game in my appreciation of video games. I love it. Wowzers. So good. Really, really love it.
0: Fantastic. I know on the App Store on on my iPhone, you can get a pack of Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6, which also includes the DS remakes of 3 and 4. Yeah. And I I just wish it was released on like the Switch or even on like the Vita or something. I could play it with a control pad on because I would. I reckon I could uh, very very happily start chipping away through through all of those games.
1: As an aside, if you want to play any of these ones, 1 and 2 got shiny versions on the PSP.
0: I'm sure I've got the cartridges for 3 and 4 somewhere for the yeah. DS, which will obviously work on my 3DS if I can find yeah. any of those things. So I may well, because I've loved hearing you talk about Final Fantasy games, Minty. I really, really have. Like with Banjo-Tooie a, a few weeks ago, it I really whet my appetite to to dive into a whole whole load of games that, that, that passed me by, which yeah. is it's a w- wonderful, wonderful bonus of doing this podcast.
2: Yeah, I think as, as we sort of get up in the list I'm trying to get that balance between saying just exactly what I love about them but not enough so that you think oh well I've heard Minty talk about it Yeah. so I don't need to play it anymore like no that's not good enough. Play it yourself. <laughs>
1: you go and bloody play it. You go and do it. Yeah.
0: I, I don't mean to digress from the other obviously quite outstanding elements of, of the game, Minty, but did you say that Penny Crayon was in it? Yeah. Yeah, she was. A girl who draws pictures that come to life.
2: Yes. This was back in the 90s, so she had curly hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead of like the poker straight thing and the beret.
0: And it's the crossover. We didn't know we wanted until we got it. And then we wondered how we lived without it. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. So there we have it. Back to our usual eclectic trilogy of games this week. First of all, we had
1: Ridge Racer 3D.
0: Then we had Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Before finally, Final
2: Fantasy VI.
0: Excellent stuff. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do. Get onto social media and chat with us. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Our Three Cents. You can chat with us there about these games. You can take us to task on our opinions. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn.
1: You can find me at Chaz
2: underscore Hodges. And as always, I'm Clement underscore Boo.
0: And please do check out our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that and enjoy the video content that we're putting up there. And also feel free to give us any ideas of, of what you might like to see us produce as well. And do check out our Patreon page if you do want to pledge your support for some fantastic perks. And please do join us next time for our 40th favorite video games Oh, boss level
2: boss level big boss level yeah gosh
1: (laughs) they say with age comes wisdom well over here at the cartridge family we only have one question who are they? (laughs) join three imperfect dads as they juggle kids, wives and jobs while indulging in their favorite hobby playing video games
0: the cartridge family a greenlit network podcast
1: Hey, Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well, Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders, but it's actually about comics.
2: War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders, but it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network.